Dr. Troy Swanson, who organized the event, and Dr. Craig Rosen, who is our theater coordinator and producer of many plays here. So can I see a quick show of hands? Because I know a lot of you just wandered in with your class. How many of you have read the novel Frankenstein? Oh, I have a few people. Okay. Yeah, and a lot of you haven't. So Frankenstein was published in 1818, and the author, Mary Shelley, she wrote it when she was 16 years old. And it's a pivotal novel in the gothic genre. Can I see another show of hands? Anybody think they're a fan of the gothic genre, maybe? Something you're into? Yeah, so dark, brooding, mysterious. So there's a lot of important themes in Frankenstein. Um, it's, you know, themes of betrayal and loneliness, and especially toward your creator, sort of parental figure. Now, in the speech and theater world, we think reading is awesome. But to really elevate literature, you got to perform it. Let's hear it out loud. So for those of you who are kind of an audio listener, audio learner, you might really enjoy today. So what we have is we just have some short excerpts from the chapters that are going to be read by some of our theater and speech students. So you can kind of hear the literature and appreciate it at, a, at an even deeper level. All right, so with that, afterwards we will um, have a mini press conference for those students who are here looking to maybe write a news article on this event. So, all right. Any concerns or questions before we begin? All right, well, thank you for coming, and I hope you enjoy it. I'll let our speakers in introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'll be reading the part of Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> and I'm Matt, and I will be reading the part of the creature. Okay. It was on a dreary night of November that I beheld the accomplishment of my toils. With an anxiety that almost amounted to agony, I collected the instruments of life around me that I might infuse a spark of being into the lifeless thing that lay at my feet. It was already one in the morning. The rain pattered dismally against the panes, and my candle was nearly burnt out when, by the glimmer of the half-extinguished light, I saw the dull yellow eye of the creature open. It breathed hard, and a convulsive motion agitated its limbs. How can I describe my emotions at this catastrophe? Or how delineate the wretch whom with such infinite pains and care I had endeavored to form? His limbs were in proportion, and I had selected his features as beautiful. Beautiful? Great God! His yellow skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His hair was of a lustrous black and flowing, his teeth a pearly whiteness, but these luxuriances only formed a more horrid contrast with his watery eyes that seemed almost of the same color as the dun white sockets in which they were set, his shriveled complexion and straight black lips. The different accidents of life are not so changeable as the feelings of human nature. I had worked hard for nearly two years for the sole purpose of infusing life into an inanimate body. For this, I had deprived myself of rest and health. I had desired it with an ardor that far exceeded moderation, but now that I had finished, the beauty of the dream vanished, and breathless horror and disgust filled my heart. Unable to endure the aspect of the being I had created, I rushed out of the room and continued a long time traversing my bedchamber, unable to compose my mind to sleep. I slept indeed, but I was disturbed by the wildest dreams. I thought I saw Elizabeth in the bloom of health, walking in the streets of Ingolstadt. Delighted and surprised, I embraced her, but as I imprinted the first kiss on her lips, they became livid with the hue of death. Her features appeared to change, and I thought that I held the corpse of my dead mother in my arms. A shroud enveloped her form, and I saw the grave worms crawling in the folds of the flannel. I started from my sleep with horror. A cold dew covered my forehead. My teeth chattered, and every limb became convulsed when... 
By the dim and yellow light of the moon, as it forced its way through the window shutters, I beheld the wretch, the miserable monster whom I had created. He held up the curtain of the bed, and his eyes, if eyes they may be called, were fixed on me. His jaws opened, and he muttered some inarticulate sounds while a grin wrinkled his cheeks. He might have spoken, but I did not hear. One hand was stretched out, seemingly to detain me, but I escaped and rushed downstairs. I took refuge in the courtyard belonging to the house which I inhabited, where I remained during the rest of the night, walking up and down in the greatest agitation, listening attentively, catching and fearing each sound as if it were to announce the approach of the demoniacal corpse to which I had so miserably given life. Oh, no mortal could support the horror of that countenance. A mummy again endued with animation could not be so hideous as that wretch. I had gazed on him while unfinished. He was ugly then. But when those muscles and joints were rendered capable of motion, it became a thing such as even Dante could not have conceived. <laughs> Should I just... Okay. It was nearly noon when I arrived at the top of the ascent. For some time I sat upon the rock that overlooks the sea of ice. A mist covered both that and the surrounding mountains. Presently, a breeze dissipated the cloud, and I descended upon the glacier. My heart, which was before sorrowful, now swelled with something like joy. I exclaimed, wandering spirits, do not rest in your narrow beds. Allow me this faint happiness, or take me as your companion away from the joys of life. As I said this, I suddenly beheld the figure of a man, at some distance, advancing towards me with superhuman speed. I perceived, as the shape came nearer, that it was the wretch whom I had created. I trembled with rage and horror, resolving to wait his approach and then close with him in mortal combat. Devil, I exclaimed, do you dare approach me? Do you not fear my fierce vengeance? Or rather stay, that I may trample you to dust, so that I could, with the extinction of your miserable existence, restore those victims whom you have so diabolically murdered. I expected this reception. All men hate the wretched. How, then, must I be hated, who am miserable beyond all living things? Yet you, my creator, detest and spurn me. You propose to kill me. How dare you sport thus with life? Do your duty towards me, and I will do mine towards you and the rest of mankind. If you will comply with my conditions, I will leave them and you at peace. But if you refuse, I will glut the maw of death until it be satiated with the blood of your remaining friends. Aboard, monster, fiend that thou art, the, torches, the tortures of hell are too mild a vengeance for thy crimes. Wretched devil, you reproach me with your creation. Come on, then that I may extinguish the spark which I so negligently bestowed. My rage was without bounds. I sprang on him, impelled by the, all the feelings which can arm one being against the existence of another. He easily eluded me and said, Be calm. Have I not suffered enough that you seek to increase my misery? Life, although it may only be an accumulation of anguish, is dear to me, and I will defend it. Remember, thou hast made me more powerful than thyself. My height is superior to thine, my joints more supple, but I will not be tempted to set myself in opposition to thee. I am thy creature, and I will be even mild and docile to my natural lord and king, if thou wilt also perform thy part, the which thou owest me. O oh, Frankenstein, be not equitable to every other, and trample upon me alone, to whom thy justice, and even thy clemency and affection, is most due. Remember that I am thy creature. I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel whom thou drivest from joy from no misdeed. 
Everywhere I see bliss from which I alone am irrevocably excluded. I was benevolent and good. Misery made me a fiend. Make me happy, and I shall again be virtuous. Be gone. I will not hear you. There can be no community between you and me. We are enemies. Be gone, or let us try our strength in a fight in which one must fall. Believe me, Frankenstein. I was benevolent. My soul glowed with love and humanity. But I am miserably alone. You, my creator, abhor me. What hope can I gather from your fellow creatures who owe me nothing? They spurn and hate me. If the multitude of mankind knew of my existence, they would do as you do and arm themselves for my destruction. Let your compassion be moved and do not disdain me. Listen to me, Frankenstein. You accuse me of murder and yet you would, with a satisfied conscience, destroy your own creature. Listen to me. And then, if you can, and if you will, destroy the work of your hands. All right, thank you both so much. That was Matt and Lauren. We're going to just take a minute to switch the mics out, and then we're going to continue on to some other chapters where Frankenstein is confronting his creature, and the creature is going to make some interesting demands of the scientists. Now, how many of you in here knew who's Frankenstein? Is it the monster or the scientist? That's, that's right, Frankenstein is the scientist. So, and in the novel, um, it's not really even a monster. It's Frankenstein's creature. So it's his creation. So are we ready? Okay. Testing. Okay. Hello, hello. Hi, my name is Oswaldo Campo. My name is Aidan McGuire. You must create a female for me. I demand it of you. I do refuse it. Shall I create another like yourself whose joint wickedness might desolate the world? Be gone. I have answered you. You may torture me, but I will never consent. You are in the wrong. And instead of threatening, I am content to reason with you. I am malicious because I am miserable. Am I not shunned and hated by all mankind? You, my creator, would tear me to pieces and triumph. Remember that. Shall I respect the man when he condemns me? Let, me? let him live with me in the interchange of kindness? And instead of injury, I would bestow every benefit upon him with tears of gratitude at his acceptance? But that cannot be. The human senses are insurmountable barriers to our union. I will revenge my injuries if I cannot inspire love. I will cause fear and chief towardly you, my archenemy, because my creator, do I swear inextinguishable hatred. I will work at your destruction until I desolate your heart so that you shall curse the hour of your birth. What I ask of you is reasonable. I demand a creature of another sex, but as hideous as myself. It is true we shall be monsters cut off from, the, from all the world, 
But on that account, we shall be more attached to one another. Our lives will not be happy, but they will be harmless and free from the misery I now feel. My creator, make me happy. Let me see that I excite the symphony of some existing thing. Do not deny me my request. I was moved. I shuddered when I thought of the possible consequences of my consent. But I felt that there was some justice in his argument. His tale and the feelings he now expressed proved him to be a creature of fine sensations. And did I not, as his maker, owe him all the portion of happiness that it was in my power to bestow? He saw my change of feeling and continued. If you consent, neither you nor any other human being shall ever see us again. I will go to the vast wilds of South America. My food is not that of man. I do not destroy the land to glut my appetite. Acorns and berries afford me sufficient nourishment. My companion will be the same nature as myself and will be content with the same fare. We shall make our bed of, of dried leaves. The, the sun will shine on us on, as man and will ripen our food. Pitiless as you have been towards me, I now see compassion in your eyes. Let me seize the, fairable, the favorable moment and persuade you to promise that what I so adherently desire. You propose to fly from the habitations of man, to dwell in those wilds where the beasts of the field will be your only companions. How can you, who long for the love and sympathy of man, preserve in this exile? You will return and again seek their kindness, and you will be met with their destination. Your evil passions will be renewed, and you will then have a companion to aid you in the task of destruction. This may not cease to argue the point, for I cannot consent. How inconsistent are your feelings? But a moment ago, you were moved by my representations. And why do you again harden yourself to my complaints? I swear to you, by the earth which I inhabit, and by what that you made me, that with the companion you bestow, with you bestow, I will quit the neighborhood of man and dwell as it may chance, in the most savage of places. My evil passions will have fled, for I shall meet with symphony. My life will flow quietly away, and in my dying, in, in, and in my dying moments, I shall not curse my maker. His words had a strange effect upon me. I felt wish to console him, but when I, when I looked upon him, when I saw the filthy mass that moved and talked, my heart sinked, and my feelings were altered to those of horror and hatred. I could not sympathize with him. I had no right to withhold from him the small portion of happiness which was yet in my power to bestow. You swear to be harmless, but have you not already shown a degree of malice that should reasonably, reasonably make me distrust you? How is this? I must not be trifled with, and I demand an answer. If I have no ties and no affections, hatred and vice must be my portion. The love of another will destroy the cause of my crimes, and I shall become a thing of whose existence everyone will be ignorant. My vices are the children of a forced solitude that I arbor, and my, virtues, and my virtues will necessarily arise when I live in communion with an equal. I shall feel the same affections of a sensitive being and become linked with the chain of existence and events from which I am now excluded. I paused some time to reflect on the various arguments which he had employed. 
His power and the threats were not omitted in my calculations. A creature who could exist in the ice caves of glaciers was being possessing faculty to be vain to cope with. After a long pause of reflection, concluded that the justice due both to him and to my fellow creatures demanded of me that I should comply with his request. I consent to your demand on your solemn oath to quit Europe forever and every other place in the neighborhood of man as soon as I shall deliver you into the hands of a female who will accompany you into your exile. I swear by the sun and by the blue sky of heaven and by the fire of love that burns in my heart that if you grant my prayer, you shall never behold me again. Depart to your home and commence with your labors. I shall watch their progress with anxiety and fear not, but not until you are ready. I shall appear. Saying this, he suddenly quitted me, fearful perhaps of any change in my sentiments. I saw him descend the mountain with greater speed than the flight of an eagle and quickly lost among the undulations of sea and ice. I sat one evening in my laboratory. The sun had set and the moon was just rising from the sea. I had not sufficient light for my employment and I remained idle. A train of reflection occurred to me which led me to consider the effects of what I was now doing. Three years before, I had created a fiend whose unparalleled barbarity had desolated my heart and filled it forever with the bitterest remorse. I was now about to form another being whose dispositions I was alike ignorant. She might become 10,000 times more malignant than her mate and delight in murder and wretchedness. He had sworn to quit the neighborhood of man and hide himself in the deserts, but she had not. And she, who in all probability was to become a thinking, reasoning animal, might refuse to comply with the compact made before her creation. They might even hate each other. The creature who already lived loathed his own deformity. And might he not conceive a greater abhorrence for when it came before his own eyes and female form? She also might turn with disgust from him to the superior beauty of man. She might quit him, and he be again alone, exasperated from the fresh provocation of being deserted by his own species. I heard the sound of footsteps along the passage. The door opened, and the wretch whom I dreaded appeared. Shutting the door, he approached me and said in a smothered voice, you have destroyed the work which you began? What is it that you intend? Do you dare to break your promise? I have endured toil and misery. I have dwelt with many months in the heaths of England and among the deserts of Scotland. Do you dare destroy my hope? Be gone! I do not break my promise. Never. Well, I create another like yourself, equal in deformity and wickedness. Slave, I before reasoned with you, but you have proved yourself unworthy of my condensation. Remember that I have power. You believe yourself miserable, but I can make you so wretched that the light of day will be hateful to you. You are my creator, but I am your master. Obey cannot move me to do an act of wickedness. Shall I in cold blood set loose upon the earth a demon whose delight is in death and wretchedness? Be gone. I am firm. And your words will only exasperate my rage. Beware. Your hours will pass in dread and misery. And soon the bolt will fall which must ravish from you your happiness forever. 
Are you to be happy while I grovel in the intensity of my wretchedness? You can blast my other passions, but revenge remains. Revenge henceforth, dearer than the light of food. I may die, but first you, my tyrant and tormentor, shall curse the sun that gazes on your misery. Beware, for I am fearless and therefore powerful. I will watch with the willingness of a snake that I may sting with its venom. Man, you shall repent the injuries you inflict. Devil, cease! Do not poison the air with these sounds of malice. I have declared my resolution to you, and I am no coward to bend them beneath the words. Leave me. I am in the exile It is well. I go. But remember, I shall be with you on your wedding night. Villain, before you sign my death warrant, be sure that you are yourself safe. All right, and while they mic up our last speaker, any comments or thoughts so far? Reactions? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you're having fun. I know, I love it too. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's an intense novel. It really sucks you in. And now we've got these, these two guys who are now after each other. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh-oh, I think I created a monster? That's where that phrase comes from. So because he created something and he got far more than he bargained for. All right, Chase, are you ready? Testing, for our testing. Final scene? Okay, all good. There we go. <laughs> Alrighty, righty, I am Chase Miller. I will be doing the final reading for Victor Frankenstein. I'd been calm during the day, but so soon as the night obscured the shapes of objects, a thousand fears rose in my mind. I was anxious and watchful, and while my, night, and while my right hand grasped a pistol which I had hidden in my bosom, every sound terrified me. My dear Elizabeth observed my agitation for some time, and in timid and fearful silence, she asked, What is it that agitates you, my dear Victor? What is it that you fear? Peace. Peace, my love, I replied. This night, and all will be safe. But this night is dreadful, very dreadful. She left me, and I continued for some time, walking up and down the passages of the house, inspecting every corner that might afford a retreat to my adversary. But I discovered no trace of him. I was beginning to conjecture that some fortunate chance had intervened to prevent, his, to prevent the execution of his menaces when I heard it. A dreadful scream. It came from the room into which Elizabeth had retired, and I heard it. The whole truth rushed into my mind. My arms dropped. The motion of every muscle and fiber was suspended. I could feel the blood trickling in my veins and tingling in the extremities of my limbs. This state lasted for only an instant, and the scream was repeated. I rushed into the room, and she was there lifeless and inanimate, thrown across the bed, her head hanging down and her pale and distorted features half covered by her hair. Everywhere I turned, I saw the same figure, her bloodless arms and relaxed, and relaxed form flung by the murderer on its bridal bear. Could I behold this and live? While I still hung over her in agony and despair, I happened to look up. The windows of the room before had been darkened and I felt a kind of panic seeing the pale yellow lights of the moon illuminate the chamber. The shutters had been thrown back, and with a sensation of horror not to be described, I saw the open window 
a figure, most hideous and abhorred, a grin. A grin was on the face of the monster. It seemed to jeer as with his fiendish finger he pointed towards the corpse of my wife. I rushed towards, I rushed towards the window and drawing the pistol from my bosom, I fired. But he eluded me, leaping from his station and running with the swiftness of lightning, plunged into the lake. The report of the pistol brought, brought a crowd to the, into the room and I pointed to the spot where he had disappeared and we followed the track with boats. Nets were cast in vain. They proceeded to search the country, parties going in different directions among the woods and vines. I attempted to accompany them and proceeded a short distance from the house. My head whirled round and round and my steps were like that of a drunken man. I fell at last in a state of utter exhaustion. The deep grief quickly gave way to rage and despair. I knelt on the grass and kissed the earth with quivering lips, exclaimed, by the sacred earth on which I kneel, I by the deep and eternal grief that I feel, I swear to pursue the demon who caused this misery until he or I shall perish. For this purpose, I will preserve my life to execute this dear revenge. And I call upon thee, spirits of the dead and on wandering ministers of vengeance, to aid me in the conduct of my work. Let the cursed and hellish monster drink deep of the agony. Let him feel the despair that now torments me. And I was answered through the stillness of night. And by a fiendish laugh, it rang on in my ears and heavily. The mountains re-echoed it, and I felt as if hell itself surrounded me with mockery and laughter. The well-known and abhorred voice, apparently close to my ear, addressed me in an audible whisper. I am satisfied, miserable wrench. You have determined to live, and I am satisfied. I darted towards the spot from which the sound proceeded, but the devil eluded my grasp. Suddenly, the broad disk of the moon arose and shone up full upon his ghastly and distorted shape as he fled with more than mortal speed. I pursued him for many months, guided by a slight clue. I followed the windings of the Rhone, but vainly. The blue Mediterranean appeared, and by strange chance, I saw the fiend enter by night and hide himself in a vessel bound for the Black Sea. I took passage on the very same ship, but he escaped, and I know not how. Amidst the wilds of territory and Russia, although he still evaded me, I have ever followed his track. Sometimes the peasants speak, sometimes the peasants speak of this horrid apparition, informing me of his path. Sometimes he himself informed me, fearing that if I lost track of him, I should despair and die. The snows descended on my head, and I saw the print of his huge step on the white plain. He left marks in writing on the barks of trees or were cut in stone that guided me and instigated my fury. He wrote, My reign is not over yet. Come on, my enemy. We have yet to wrestle for our lives, but many hard and miserable hours must you endure until that period shall, shall arrive. Scoffing devil! Again do I vow vengeance. Again do I devout myself to, 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 your, to, to the death of you miserable fiend. Never will I give up my search until he or I shall perish. And then, with what ecstasy shall I join my Elizabeth, who even now prepare for me the reward of my tedious toil and horrible pilgrimage.
Thank you, Chase. Well, that concludes um, the portion where we're doing the readings. So thank you so much for coming. For those of you who would like to stay around for some comments or some questions, I will bring the speakers back up to the front um, so that they can answer any questions you have. So just raise your hand and I could pass the mic too. Testing. Hi. So um, for the two people that read for the monster, it seemed like you guys were really in tune with the character. Can you tell me what was uh, the initial reaction when you found out that Frankenstein was going to be, be the book that you were going to be reading from? Oh, me first? Okay. Uh, um, uh, I myself have never read Frankenstein, um, but I've heard a lot about it. Um, and we all kind of have like that image of Frankenstein's monster in our head, I think. So kind of being able to do my own spin on that was fun. <laughs> so um, I read Frankenstein like a year ago in my COM 102 two class one of them um but i read it so i kind of already knew what was like happening in the story i, I was aware that he wanted a, a female and he didn't get it and he got angry um but all in all to me reading it was just kind of you just got to understand how characters think and feel and you just got to do it like i don't i don't know how else to describe it it's more of it's not really like putting yourself in the mindset it's just more having empathy and understanding how what if you were in their shoes how would they, how would you feel about it? And then you kind of just work around it that way. Hi, uh, I actually uh, I have a question for Krista. Um, from your perspective, what was the coordination like between speech drama and the library to get this together? To add on to that, um, in speech, there's this event called prose reading, which is basically what we just did. So you get a story, and you're basically storytelling to the audience. So you got a lot of practice doing that as it is. So, and I do prose, so I, I kind of already knew what I was, an idea of what I was doing, you know? So hi, I've got a question for Dr. Rosen. Um, what, what kind of went into the process of the selection for this book? Um, like, what made you choose this specifically? Yeah, this is really this is really a Dr. Swanson question. Oh, wait, this book. Yeah. Okay. All right. So obviously Frankenstein is a classic. Um, it is a central um, novel to the history of literature, of English literature. First science fiction novel, um, first gothic novel, 
first horror novel in so many ways. And also, this is the 20th anniversary of our One Book, One College program. And 20 years ago, um, we selected this novel as our first um, book for our One Book, One College common reading program. So to acknowledge that great anniversary of two decades, uh, we thought we would do it again. And, you know, 20 years later, it has just as much. 20 years ago, we talked about um, so much about technology. And guess what? This year, again, we're talking about AI-related topics. Like, it still is a fresh, it's a 200-year-old novel. Um, but still fresh and relevant to all of our conversations today. So that's why we selected. Yeah, a core theme in Frankenstein is humans getting a hold of some kind of new technology and new scientific ability and running amok with it. And look what happens. Who else has a question? Hello, everyone. First of all, you did a really great job. Thank you very much. That was exciting. And especially the last reading, that was, you must be a speech or a, Theater student, maybe, or? Oh, um, well, yes, I predominantly have worked on speech most of my life. I have been involved in theater production and light theater work in high school, which I wasn't a big fan of. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the, um, doing speech has just been a very, it's, it's been very fun working with, like, all the people and doing all of these. It's just very, it's very nice. I really like it. So I, my question is, I teach um, students who are learning English as a second language. They're multilingual, but English happens to be one that they're learning now. Um, and we're listening to you read so well and everything. Do you have any advice on a student who's going to be taking you know, a comm class and they're going to be reading prose in class? Um, any advice that you glean that you can give them at all? Um, my mom, uh, she had to learn English as a second language, so uh, I was kind of involved with that when I was younger. Um, the number one thing I would suggest when you're reading stories is take your time. I'm so serious. A lot of readings, like, you, like obviously you're going to be reading in front of like your friends or people that you know, so you're going to be a little nervous, which is okay. But seriously, don't be like, oh, I have to speed up or oh, I have to say this. It's okay. It's a story. Let us be involved with it. Let us hear what you're trying to say. Let us imagine what you're trying to say. No pressure. Yeah, um, to, build, uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, to build on that, like um, with theater, a lot of times what we'll do for monologues and stuff, we score our scripts is what we call it. So we'll uh, circle or underline, you know, the important words, words of emphasis, find areas to add uh, breaks to our speech pattern and stuff. We'll do that for um, our speech events too. And I think that's really important as someone who's reading literature as well to kind of go through uh, slowly and kind of figure out where the important words are, kind of get that through line of an entire script, and then uh, from there you can kind of view the entire story. And I think also rereading and uh, kind of going over and over and just really appreciating the literature and uh, getting as much as you can get out of it, so. Hi, Hi. so um, my question is, so sorry, I guess I should start with the, so Frankenstein throughout its different readings has had a lot of different interpretations with like, is it about interpersonal connections? Is it about uh, the father-son relationship? Is it about the relationship with God? Um, and my question was, in these different readings, when you've picked up different things and through your own personal experiences, has that changed how you've read it and have you decided to perform it? Is that something that you take into account when um, performing uh, Frankenstein? So when it comes with acting, um, a lot of the things that you decide to do with your characters or when you're reading or when you're playing anything is a lot of motivation, right? Why are you saying the things you're saying? Why are you even thinking the things that you're thinking? Everything happens for a reason, right? 
So whether or not the subliminal messages or the themes of the story has to do with all the things that you've listed, a lot of the times will be very consistent throughout. Um, maybe a couple word changes here and there with emphasis, inflections and stuff like that if you're trying to get a specific theme like up front. But overall, I think Frankenstein has done a very good job even from 200 years ago, being able to still spur all these themes and messages, I think everyone can agree that we all get the same ideas if someone were to like bring it up to the table. Yeah, Frankenstein is such like a, as a story, it can tell a lot to like a lot of different people and like it has like so many different themes and usually Frankenstein is like a media idea. You, we all have kind of that like idea in our head of like the mad scientist, you know, creating the monster with like the, the bolts in his neck and the paper clips in his head, which, but in the in the story, it's much more of like a deeper connection about like this idea of father and son of like creation and just that's kind of what, what I got out of it when like reading this and like you know viewing like multiple different uh, interpretations of it. Um, to me, I think one of the things that I've never read Frankenstein, um, but from kind of diving into these pieces that we've uh, used in today's reading. There's that common theme of like exile and kind of like throwing out the marginalized or the different uh, individuals. So I think it can relate, um, as we talked about earlier, like these concepts of kind of discrimination against a certain person. That's like these are themes that kind of carry through. And I think that kind of that's also important to keep in mind when we see that this, you know, 20 years ago, we uh, they selected this book before. It's like these are reoccurring themes that still hold to today. And um, yeah, that idea of like exile and how. Um, you know, the monster is representative of that, so. Thank you so much. Who else has a question? Yes. So, could I write a sequel or interquel or maybe an alternate version of the book if it's in the public domain? Anything you want with it. We could do it in speech. It's legal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. If it's in the public domain, it you could just. It just be public. Yeah. It could be on Reddit too. We don't care. And obviously, like, certain, uh, <laughs> certain designs are regulated to, like, their certain studios. Whoa. Oh. Cool. Thank you. Does anybody else have any questions or comments? Yeah, I always thought that was the mark of a good movie or a good piece of literature when the evil character isn't just one dimensionally evil, mean for no reason other than the sake of being mean. When you see the torment and what went into building their, you know, evil pro proclivities and you almost empathize with the person who's supposed to be the villain. And that's what makes Frankenstein as like a story stand out more because evil for the sake of evil antagonists are a, a, a dime a dozen in the horror genre. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's just like every other villain is just that. Like Freddy Krueger and like Jason. Well, like even back always, then, it was like, you know, then, yeah. a, a Dracula and like the mummy. It was all very <laughs> much evil for evil's sake antagonists. So, and that's what makes Frankenstein stand out so much is that you really get to understand the monster and you get to understand like why he thinks this way, why he, uh, and when you, you begin to empathize with him and his struggle, even if like, 
you aren't exactly a stitched up person who had to <laughs> learn English or whatever they speak in the original novel to uh, uh, from a blind man in a cottage. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. Okay, what else? Speakers, anything else you'd like to add? Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for being here. Yeah, this is great. Oh.